when you're going through it, it's so important to put your thoughts out into the universe. And I mean either saying them, articulating your thoughts to people, communicating them with real words, or writing them down. And if you're into writing over talking, then I want to suggest not a diary. It's a really cool product by a dude named Sam. Listen to this. So what I've launched is a product called Not a Diary. And what it is, is it's an SMS-based journaling software that sends you a journal entry in the form of a text message straight to your phone every single day. Plans start at just a couple of bucks a month and you'll be surprised at how good you feel by just getting it out. I think Not a Diary helps the most because kids don't want to carry around another journal. Uh, they don't want to download another app where there's a hundred different action items inside that app that they have to navigate through. They want it to be super simple. Get connected and find out more. We've got a special link in our show description for Not a Diary. Learn from People Who Lived It is supported by the woman-owned Advanced Systems Integration. ASI is an audio-visual integrator with offices in Minnesota and Arizona. If you're the IT director or on the IT staff and you need to build out collaboration systems or sound masking, they can help. And they pay special attention to that last 5%, which is often the most trying but important. Video walls, surveillance cameras, meeting spaces, and so much more. We've got a link to ASI in our show description, or you can go there yourself at asi-av.com to see their gallery of work. Welcome to another episode of Learn From People Who Lived It. Well, let's jump back in, man. We wanted to bring you back for round number two. Round one, I think, did a lot of people a lot of good, uh, including some people that you know and me, which I always think is uh, excellent. You know, when you when you get a chance to produce a podcast, you're like you're, you're always hopeful that it's going to hit somebody. But when it hits somebody that you actually know, it makes it even yeah. sweeter. And we're going to talk today about something that you touched on in our last podcast here. Let's have a listen. There's um. There's an aspect to this, which is uh, interesting. It's a whole kind of emerging study of moral injury. Um, and that could be a whole nother topic by itself. But I know you got me fascinated <laughs> by those two words. I'll write that down. All right. You said the words moral injury. And then I said, wow, we got to come back to this. Yeah. So um, let's dive right in. What is, what is a moral injury, Dave? There are a, a number of situations that affect people in lasting ways. You know, so we talked about trauma last time and trauma is bad enough. You know, when people see things um, or are involved in things that are traumatic involving a loss or somebody being injured, that really can leave an impact on people and, and can uh, take a long time to work through. But moral injury um, is really an injury against your conscience. Um, it's when you experience something that goes against deeply held beliefs. Um, usually it involves one of three possible areas, either things that you do or things that you don't do that you should have done or things that you see that shouldn't have happened. So those are kind of the three areas where moral injury can occur. I did a little digging around today just to, to you know, kind of touch base on this moral injury. Because I, you, when you said it, you know, the other day, it was the first time that I'd ever heard that. Um, what you find is that, you know, a lot of people in war experiences when they take somebody's life or there's a moment where they have to give an order for somebody to and then they know that there's going to be loss in those moments. And then the other thing that I thought was kind of interesting about the moral injury as I looked it up online is right next to that, you know how Google likes to put things uh, that are similar to each other on there. They listed, you know, shame and guilt 
And so are, are those two components under the umbrella of moral injury? And is that why they're so hard? They're a big component of it. And they're a big reason why it's difficult sometimes to work through it or even to talk about it afterwards. When um, th th there's a number of situations where this can occur. So sometimes it might be a situation, you know, I think of medics. Um, so you're in a situation where you have to make a split second decision. And these are always high stakes situations, right? Minor situations don't leave a huge and lasting impact on us, but the, the situations that are high stakes usually are the situations that, that really leave an imprint and, and are harder to overcome. You know, so the, the medic that's in a situation where, um, you know, you have five people injured, you can help too, right? And so how do you make a decision as to who you're going to help? And then um, in those moments, you make a split second decision or, or, or a quick decision, and then you have the whole rest of your life to think it over and over again. And, you know, should I have done it differently? Should I have done this? Should I have done that? And that, um, that churning uh, part keeps it alive, even though it was something that may have happened long in the past. So if you don't mind, I'd like to talk a little bit about maybe why moral injuries are difficult and, and challenging. Uh, I mean, just the, the very word alone, moral injury would imply that maybe there's something instilled within you. There's a right or wrong that's been instilled within you along the way where that's going to be the moral compass. You probably hear people say that all the time. Right. But, um, and, and is that what we're talking about here is that, you know, let's say you grow up here in the West, there's a lot of Christians, you grow up Christian and thou shalt not kill and take a life, but then you find yourself in a war situation where that's taking place. Or, you know, like you said, it's not just war that these situations pertain to, but th that's a, an easier way to explain it, right? Sure. It, it, it's very common in healthcare situations. Um, you know, it's, it's one of the big contributors to uh, nurse burnout, physician burnout, you know, being in situations where you feel that you know what the right thing is to do, but there are constraints that prevent you from doing it, be it mm. the hospital administration, workload, uh, fatigue, other things, you know, that, that keep you from doing the right thing sometimes. That's interesting. Um, yeah. But uh, dive into that a little bit more. I mean, it can, it can really happen in any situation, but again, it's the high stakes situation. So if you think of what, what types of people work in high stakes um, situations, you know, to go back to the, the military example, um, sometimes what can happen too is you have, uh, you're working under bad command and they, uh, you might have a commander that tells you to do something that you know from experience is going to lead to somebody getting harmed. And so what do you do? Do you, um, do you commit an act of insubordination and openly um, disregard the order? The order right, right? right. Or do you, do you follow through with it? And then if it turns out like you predicted, um, you, you're stuck with those memories. Those things are staying with you then afterwards. All right. So we spent a few minutes talking about the fact that it can happen and it, it has, we know that full well. Um, and so, you know, like tell people this all the time. Now we're here. What do we do? So now we're here and we're in a space where we really need to start shifting through that moral injury. You know, you, you know me, my favorite thing to talk about in the whole world is the story that kind of owns you and then how you have to start owning that story so you can lean in. 
uh, and to kind of shifting through the whole thing. So first and foremost, you, you probably have to discover that you have something like a moral injury, right? That would be the first step here. And as with everything, it's very hard to see it in yourself. Hmm. You, oftentimes, how can, I, how can I identify it? <laughs> well, let me let me define something first, and that'll that'll help to bring some clarity to this. So we talked about guilt and we talked about shame, and those are two very different things. Um, when you're talking about guilt, you're talking about feeling badly for something that you've done. Um, when you talk about shame, you talk about feeling badly because of something that you are, right? So, so what makes things that involve shame difficult to work through is you're, you're talking about a perception of yourself as being this thing that's repulsive or broken or damaged in some way, and you don't know how to change that, right? Because you're talking about the essence of your being in a, in a way. Um, so that makes it very difficult to number one, identify and number two, to readily talk about. We had spoken about in the first podcast about early trauma situations coming back then later on. And this yeah. is one of those places where it really holds true. If you grew up in a shamed environment where you weren't allowed to talk about your feelings, you weren't allowed to talk about, um, you know, the, the situations and, and, and felt that you were given a voice um, to be able to, to speak up about things. When you experience a moral injury later on, those old patterns come back and will suppress your ability to speak out on it. Can I ask you a question? Does this apply to something as simple as maybe you grow up again? I'm going to go back to it because a lot of people are, but you go back to somebody who is a Christian, grows up in a pretty religious house, and then finds themselves in a relationship where they need to get a divorce. Is is it that simple? Is that is that an example of somebody who could then sustain sort of this moral injury and start to feel a lot of that shame that you're just talking about? It sure can, uh, in especially in the sense of interfering with your ability to move forward and develop another relationship afterwards. Okay. Right? So if you walk away from the divorce situation feeling like you violated deeply held beliefs, you know, God had one person in mind for you to marry and now you've just divorced them. So there's no future for you. You're never allowed to be in another relationship or at least be happy in another relationship. Um, so those are all situations that, that can, kind of put a straitjacket around you, tie you up and, and make it hard to move forward. Yeah. So, so, I mean, everybody wants the million dollar question answered. I mean, how do you move forward? Right. Okay. So first up in my eyes, you've discovered there's a problem now. How do you own this thing? How, how do you own the moral injury to a point where you can set it down? You really can't move forward until you can find a way to accept the situation where you are. You know, one of the key things with moral injury, uh, and this is all throughout the literature, you have to be able to talk about it. Now, you have to pick your audience pretty carefully, especially when it comes to uh, combat-related traumas. You know, you wouldn't necessarily want to unload on your wife some of the things that you've seen in combat. She doesn't have a context for being able to understand some of those images or, or, or that situation, and it might end up being traumatizing for her. But you, you need to find a venue. You need to find somebody that you trust 
that not only can hear you, but also be able to accept you after having divulged the things that you saw, the things that you were involved in, that you feel ashamed about. And it's out of that environment of acceptance that you can start to grow and start to find a path forward. Do you think people even understand how many folks around them really, truly want to offer them unconditional love in this capacity? I mean, really, if they came forward and talked about the things that were on their mind, do you think people understand how many folks around them would be willing to say, I don't judge you. I understand what happened. And I just want to help you now. I just want to move through with you. I want to well, I, and there's something you said on our last podcast too, which is it's on the permanent record. It's not going away. And so, you know, you just, you know, let me be the person that helps you live with the sound of that record now. Um, what, what, what maybe makes somebody not want to tell somebody else? Is it that fear that saying the words out loud makes it too real? If, if I feel that I'm a horrible person because of what I've done, how are you going to feel if I divulge this? We have a pretty good relationship now. We have a friendship now. Are you going to ever look at me the same way once I tell you this horrible thing that I've done? It's really true that you just said that because as you said it, I was thinking to myself, you know, I remember when I was used to be um, an alcoholic and I would feel a little bit of shame in that regard to, to sort of tell people that kind of thing. And so what you just said really rings true to me. I can understand why somebody wouldn't, but I would also love to articulate that it's been my experience that people truly want to be there for you. They really do. And, and they, most of them have no clue how to do it. And so it, we're in this weird space where somebody has got to make the first move. Um, but I'll tell you those secrets are very expensive. They're mm -hmm. very expensive to hold on to what, when you're, when you're spending your time trying to, disguise aspects of yourself, trying to avoid certain topics coming up, trying to hide certain behaviors or, uh, you know, you get emotional when something sets you off and you don't want people to ask you about it. The, the, the more you work to hide things about yourself, that becomes exhausting. It wears you down. It's, it's like a slow drain on your battery. You're, you're absolutely right. And uh, you, you know about these things, obviously, because of your profession. But I mean, it leads to this thing they call oxidative stress, right, where the body starts releasing and there's an imbalance. And the next thing you know, you got back aches, neck aches, all the things can kind of stem from that stressful life. And and so, you know, one of the things that I love talking about is support. So if I'm listening to you and I right now, because I know somebody who's, it sounds like has experienced this moral injury, you know, I mean, how can we serve people? How can you help people? What can we do? Always being available to lend a listening ear is part of it. But I'd like to speak to some of the audience that are wrestling with this. You know, so you're you're hearing us discuss this and you're thinking, you know, I, I have this thing that I've kept a secret for so long and it's tearing me apart. I, I, I can't I can't fully live my life because this thing is holding me back. You might want to take a look at it and and see if there's some way to start talking about it with somebody, a trusted friend, um, a pastor, a counselor. You know, somebody who's kind of a dead end, right? Sometimes you don't want to talk about things in your social circles because they might leak back in. 
find somebody that that's not connected to you that you that you trust that you can talk to be it a professional or a clergy and and start start addressing it uh, it's going to feel very difficult it's going to feel very emotional but take a look at what it's costing you to not talk about it that's i think good advice you know me i love things that people can actually use and that feels like something people can use well let me tell you some of the consequences of not addressing it so when you when you don't address a moral injury sometimes it comes up in terms of anger um a big source of domestic violence comes from previous moral injuries and then when there's some kind of a confrontation that touches that shame all of a sudden it erupts into anger um that that has a cost associated with it in terms of damaged relationships so so now you have the moral injury which is causing problems in itself but now you have these new things in terms of not being able to control your emotions or or, or control your anger in a situation because this thing is affecting you um, it also tends to cause people to withdraw so people pull away they don't feel like they want to be around other people. They don't feel worthy of being around other people. Uh, so isolation is a cost. You miss opportunities. You miss opportunities to give and receive love and to be and to have that connection with other people. And so I've been in the dark place before, and so I, I really resonate with what you're saying right now. So how do you, because I'll be honest with you, when I was at the height of really my depression, I don't think anything anybody said would have made me understand that all I needed to do was drop it, right? Set it down. It was time to just let it go, right? You hear that all the time. Um, I, I sincerely in my heart felt like I didn't want to hang out with people. Uh, I didn't. And, and you get to that point where, at least for me, right, where it was like I'm pushing everybody to voicemail. I don't even think I'm somebody I want to talk to right now. Uh, and, and you're right before you know it, dude, nobody's calling and nobody's coming around and you've done that whole, at least that was my experience, right? I did the whole thing to myself and coming out of that was hard on a couple levels. First and foremost for my own, the work that I had to do, but second sort of retraining the people around me that I wanted to be present, that I wanted to be around, that I wanted them to call me again, that I wanted them to invite me to places again. And, and that's been an interesting little anecdote that I've noticed um, after coming out is that you have to sort of retrain people around you to, to say, hey, he, he's back in the game. He wants to play again. You know, he's he's here. So um, there's this great line from the movie Pulp Fiction. I don't know if you've ever seen it, mm -hmm. but Marcellus Wallace, he's got this great line. He said, pride only hurts. It never helps. Right. And is, is, is shame the same? Is guilt the same? Are those two emotions that never help? They just hurt. Guilt can be useful. If you, if you inadvertently harmed somebody and then you find out about it and you feel guilty, that gives you an opportunity to make the situation right with that person. Right. So, so guilt isn't entirely bad. It serves a useful purpose. Um, and, and the purpose should be toward reconciliation, right? So you, you feel the guilt, you feel the pain that's associated with that guilt. You take a few moments to look inward and say, oh man, that, that was bad. What I, what I, I treated that person really poorly. Mm -hmm. Let me go back and fix that, right? And so that's where it should be. That's the healthy response to guilt is to go back and try to fix the situation and, and reconcile the situation.
with shame, because it goes to the core of, of what you believe yourself to be, right? So the essence of your being is that horrible thing that you think that you are. You have to find a way of viewing yourself differently. You have to find a, a, a different view of yourself that you can latch on to. Now, maybe that might be almost a virtual view of yourself. You know, so you're looking at yourself right now and saying, well, I, I feel like I'm this terrible person. Well, who do you want to be? What type of person do you want to be? And even if you can't figure out exactly how to get there now, you can, you can start to begin to plot a path to get there. Um, and, and I think that's one of the ways to move forward. Um, you can't undo things that have happened already, right? So a situation happens, you made a mistake, you made a bad decision. And there's nothing you can do to reverse time and go back and undo that situation. And that's something that people oftentimes obsess about. And I, why did I do that? I should have done this. I should have done that. Life is a one way. It only goes in one direction forward. Sure. There's no back. Right. So, so you, you, you have to, you know, it comes back to what we were talking about before about acceptance, accepting that I did this thing. Uh, I, I, or I failed to act. I, I should have done this thing and I didn't. Um, now move forward from here. You talk about shame being like how I feel uh, the whole thing. H has anybody ever been right? <laughs> Meaning, you know, has anybody ever been right about as awful as they feel? Right. So the, the irony of the situation is the people that are truly horrible, I mean, the real sociopaths, the serial killers, they sleep well at night. They don't worry about who they are because the, the horrible things that they do are integrated into their personality and that's who they are and they feel at peace with that. The people that experience moral injury experience moral injury because they had a conscience. They had a standard inside of themselves that they were aspiring to and they fell short. So many times what ends up holding people back is their their own fear of how they're going to be perceived by other people or, or that negative image that they have of themselves feeling that they're less valuable. But other people are not going to see them the same way. Other people probably find them loved and cherished in, in their lives. They're holding themselves back. When it comes to this moral injury, you know, you talk about reconciliation and guilt and guilt being, you know, the thing that pops up so we can say, I'm sorry and make things right. Um, how do you make amends for a moral injury if if you truly are feeling bad about it? Like you said, there's some some people that are wired for a different sound. But if I'm sitting there and I'm or here and I'm feeling bad about it, how do you make amends for a moral injury? Well, there's different ways to do that, and there's yeah. no one way to do it. Everybody has to figure out for themselves what makes sense with that. So there are some things that can't be undone, right? But you can choose to live as a different person. You can, you can try to be kinder to people. You can try to be more giving to other people. You know, some of the, some of the traits that um, researchers have looked at uh, that are protective against moral injury or that help people out of moral injury are humility, gratitude, respect, compassion, right? So if you have those things going in, you're more likely to extend some of that toward yourself, be compassionate toward yourself. Um, but you're also more likely to incorporate that in, in terms of how you're treating other people. You know, humility, I think, is a 
important piece because everybody makes mistakes. Right. Now, fortunately, most of our mistakes are recoverable. You, you can you can fix them and, and get out of them. Some of them are permanent. Some of them leave lasting damage and regret. And approaching the situation with humility and realizing, you know, if, if you had a, a situation where you made a, a small mistake, you know, but for the grace of God, go I, it, it could have been a whole lot worse. Right. And, and so that works both ways. So on the receiving end, if you if you're the friend who is trying to help somebody who's struggling, um, extending humility toward them and giving them the, the space to be able to talk and, and listen without judgment. But if you're the person who's struggling with the moral injury, um, try to find some humility and some com some compassion for yourself so that you can be able to move forward. Um, you can be a giving person. You can be a more generous person. And, and that life of isolation and withdrawal not only hurts you, but it deprives other people around you of, of, of the benefit of knowing you and, and of being on the receiving end of, of what you have to give. And wouldn't you also argue that it's not going to happen overnight? I mean, these shifts, they take time and, and shifting out of a sequence of thoughts and beliefs about who you are and what you've been about is not something that's going to happen over. And then the, the real truth of the matter is to go back to, again, to the thing you said that I love so much was is it's on your permanent record. So it's, it's never, ever going to go away. It's you're going to have that thought again. It's going to come back. Now it is just about figuring out what you're going to do when it gets there. And um, and then as you alluded to in our last podcast, which I hope people listen to, the more you can do that, the easier it becomes, right? To me, that's the benefit of therapy. That's what it does. It helps you live with the sound of your record. G give me ways where I could practice humility. Give me ways where I could practice compassion. Give me ways where I could do some of those things that you said are going to get me out of this space. I like the Benjamin Franklin approach. Okay. So Benjamin, Benjamin Franklin um, decided that he was going to improve his moral character. And the way he went about doing that is by picking a, a virtue for the week and putting it on his mirror. And in the morning, as he was getting ready to start his day, he would look at that and say, okay, I'm going to be more generous today. And he would go through the day and try to be mindful of being more generous. And at the end of the day, when he was finishing up for the day, he would see that on the mirror and he'd stop and question himself and say, was I more generous today? Could I have been more generous? And then he'll rotate, he would rotate them through and, and uh, um, have a different virtue each week that he would practice. I like that. As they say in, in business, you get what you measure, right? So if you, if you want to improve sales, you start measuring sales. And uh, if you want to improve customer service, you start measuring customer service. Um, if you want to apply that principle roughly to your life, if you want to be a more generous person, start evaluating how generous you are, however that whatever that means to you. If you want to be a kinder person, stop at the end of the day and ask yourself, was I kind today? In that situation where I got snippy with the store clerk, was that kind? Uh, I probably could have done better. Yeah, I want to ask about something really quick, and then we can get to close to wrapping up. But uh, you mentioned this in our last ca uh, last uh, cast too about compounding fractures, right? And so my feeling is, perhaps I've sustained this moral injury, this thing has happened, but now 
again, to go back to stuff I love to talk about now because of the way that you're wired, because of your story, everybody's getting this whacked out version of you and you're, you keep doing these things that to me just sort of add fuel to the fire, right? It's like you get home and now you feel crappy for your moral injury and you feel crappy because you blew up somebody at the gas station who didn't deserve it. And, you know, or a teacher or your own son or daughter or your wife or something like, right. And, and, and that just makes it worse. And what people would, you would make a trillion dollars if there was a pill to get off that hamster wheel. Right. So how, right. How can you, how can you get off that hamster wheel? Because I have been on that wheel before. It's very challenging to jump off. So I think the strategy is pretty much the same with any type of change. Mm. You have to first you have to first be able to recognize that there's a problem and, and, and be willing to accept that there's a problem there. The next is you have to take a look at what the patterns are and try to understand where does this happen? Where what situations set me off? What situations does this does this occur in? And only after you see the pattern, do you have any chance of trying to get ahead of it and trying to change it? Last question I have for you, real practical, tangible next steps. Um, I'm listening to us. Um, there's some stuff that's connected. Now, I really just don't know who I should call next, where I should go next. Should I tell my 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 spouse? Should I call a psychiatrist, a psychologist, a church, a coach, a life coach? Right. Like there's a ton of stuff out there for people, which is great, but it can feel a little overwhelming on where to start. So uh, give me a couple of your best practices on, on those first couple of steps. So if something that we talked about today is resonating with you and, and causing you to reflect, I, I think the first place to look for help is what's right around you. Is there somebody that you trust? Do you have a friend that you trust? Are you connected with a church? Do you have a pastor that you trust? Um, so those are, those are the things that might be the closest. Um, getting in with the therapist is always an option, but that can be a daunting one if you don't have somebody in mind or if you don't already have a connection with somebody. You know, how do you begin to pick up the phone and who do you call and who do you ask for? Um, but I would say the easiest thing is start where you are. W what resources do you have around you and who do you feel that you can open up to and and and, and trust to talk to about it? Yeah. And a lot of companies now are really getting, really getting wind of this. Right. And, uh, uh, there's not a company that I, that I know of now that doesn't offer at least six tele, uh, mental health visits as a part of their package right now. And so I know we're making some progress. It's just, uh, like everything, it seems slow sometimes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anything I'm leaving out before we wrap up? I think, I think a good example to look at is, you know, sometimes you hear stories about people that did some hard time in prison. You know, I think of uh, like Danny Trejo, the actor. Yes. Um, he, he had committed some pretty horrible crimes and spent some time in prison. And while he was in prison, he learned acting and he was able to turn things around uh, through his acting career. He plays some pretty rough characters, but I, I think he has a lot of good reference material for that. But I think that's a good example of how the, the path forward is not written already. You, you get to write that. You get to choose the direction that you're going in. And no matter how bad the situation is, 
there can be a way forward if you if you're looking for it, if you're committed to working on it. And maybe it might be taking some acting classes. And and my my understanding of him too is he's uh, Danny Trejo is a very generous person now, and you know very approachable. But it's one of those things where I, I'm sure he has worked on that. Oh, yeah. He didn't. He didn't get there automatically. It, it, it wasn't something that he just fell into. I, I'm sure it was something that he he worked to get to. If I could leave one parting comment, and we had mentioned this earlier, who do you want to be? What what type of person do you want to be? Don't worry about where you are right now. What what do you want to be? Who do you want to be? H how do you want people to remember you? Start to get a model in your mind or an example in your mind of, of, of what you, what you want to become. And once you have that image in your mind, now you have something to work toward. You may not know exactly how to get there. You may not know what the path is to get there. But uh, if you, if you have that image in mind, now you have a direction. And if you get blown off course, you have something that you can go back to again. Dave, thank you so much for coming on again. I really appreciate your insights. Uh, I feel like the people that are in front of Dave in his daily life are so lucky to have him. So let's talk again about that roadmap to healing a moral injury. Dave suggested humility, gratitude, respect, compassion. And all I'm going to do is ask you to give those four things to yourself first and then let that spill over into every area of your life. I wish you nothing but peace and love on your road to healing. I know how hard that road can be. Mm, do I know? We have three goals with Learn From People Who Lived It. One, to help you feel less alone. Two, encourage you to seek out a coach, a therapist, a church, anyone who can help you get through your journey and find some healing. Three, when you're ready, Share your story with us. Thank you for listening to Learn From People Who Lived It. A reminder again that ASI, or Advanced Systems Integration, designs and installs cutting-edge audio and visual equipment. This woman-owned small business is big enough to find an AV solution for your next boardroom, classroom, council chambers, or courtroom. Bring in ASI and two decades of AV experience. Visit asi-av.com to see their gallery of work. When you're going through it, it's so important to put your thoughts out into the universe. And I mean either saying them, articulating your thoughts to people, communicating them with real words, or writing them down. And if you're into writing over talking, then I want to suggest not a diary. It's a really cool product by a dude named Sam. Listen to this. So what I've launched is a product called Not a Diary. And what it is, is it's an SMS-based journaling software that sends you a journal entry in the form of a text message straight to your phone every single day. Plans start at just a couple of bucks a month and you'll be surprised at how good you feel by just getting it out. I think Not A Diary helps the most because kids don't want to carry around another journal. Uh, they don't want to download another app where there's a hundred different action items inside that app that they have to navigate through. They want it to be super simple. Get connected and find out more. We've got a special link in our show description for Not A Diary.